This recording was made on Arunda country in Alice Springs, Northern Territory. It's the only way that you can describe what a person is, describe what they do. There doesn't seem to be much job satisfaction or pleasure in this picture. might not just be you again. You might be clicking play for the first time on this podcast. If you are, thanks very much for tuning in. You're about to learn some amazing stuff. And if you are rejoining, well, thanks for hitting play again. This conversation, I got to sit down with Jimmy Cocking, who is the director for the Arid Lands Environment Centre. Actually, that seems like a really reductive way to introduce this guy, considering, as you're about to hear, he's got about 37 jobs. Um, But he still made time for me. What a crazy thing, guys. You're about to hear another example of why I am so bloody fortunate to get to go have these conversations and just sit face to face with powerfully educated people who then are my personal tutor, effectively, for the better part of an hour. How lucky is that? It's a classroom of one, yet again. And having met this guy, I really am blown away that having just hit him up cold, having found an email address and explained who I was, what I do, what I wanted to talk to him about, that he then went and made time to do this with me because the man is busy, guys. And busy, not just busy on his phone, checking his Instagram. This is a guy who is busy saving the planet, literally. I'd hate to look at this bloke's diary. I bet it's terrifying for a mortal like me. But it seems from our conversation that Jimmy has been an environmental advocate and activist for his entire life, really. This is a guy who, for me, has just redefined integrity. Because it's all very well for us to write a post and put it on social media explaining how we feel about climate change. Or it's another thing to, I don't know, convert a fire truck to run on vegetable oil to drive around the country having environmental conversations and then another 10,000 steps down the line is what Jimmy's doing. He is walking the talk. We sat out the back under the veranda of the Arid Lands Environment Centre. There was palm fronds swaying on the corrugated roof. There was a creaky gate in the background and at one point a frog down a pipe, started chirping, I think just out of agreement. You know, I think that was pretty much the frog's contribution. A pretty typical Alice Springs scene for you, which is trying to avoid the direct sunlight as best as possible and having a serious conversation. Prepare to be motivated. All right. Uh, g'day, I'm Jimmy. That's recording you. Yeah, we're gone, yeah, but g'day. I can start it. Uh, g'day, I'm Jimmy Cocking. I'm the CEO of the Arid Lands Environment Centre. Uh, I wear a few hats in this community. I'm also a town councillor. And uh, yeah, music festival director and vice president of the ACF, and uh, also on the board of Desert Knowledge Australia. So, and beyond all that, and probably my most uh, valuable job is being a parent of a four, almost five-year-old. Busy man. Yeah, keeps me busy. Cool, man. Plenty to go, but you know, so you know, I'd rather be busy than bored. You know, and there's Absolutely. plenty of stuff to be doing at this uh, this uh, crux of time that we need yep. to be uh, active. We need to be doing what we can and trying to shift things towards a more positive direction. Yeah, totally. So um, in saying that, I saw a news story just this morning about um, an outcome outside in Darwin, outside the courts for a kind of a non-violent protest where some people drilled holes, I believe, or something in the ground outside. It took all of about an hour to repair the ground, but it was kind of a 
pretty direct protest of fracking in yeah. Northern Territory and the dangers that it poses to groundwater and stuff. Is that like the main area of your focus at the moment with Australia's gas-led recovery on the horizon? Yeah, well, the fracking is a big part of... Like, we've been involved in the fracking issue since about 2011. So for nine years, we've been fighting fracking from here in Arid Lands Environment Centre. That was back when the Labor government at the time were handing out licences, like they were confetti exploration mm. licences. Very little um, uh, accountability and transparency in the process. And then the Country Liberal Party got in in 2012 to 2016, and they turbocharged the fracking and handing out more licences to the point where you see those maps where 85% of the territory uh, were covered with exploration applications uh, and granted licences. So Lauren and Conrad, the work they did and the, the action that was taken up there uh, was really about, and there was a great interview yesterday on ABC PM um, outlining that, that, uh, that what's being done is to the Territory is criminal in the fact that they're looking at actually you know, the, the, the gas uh, carbon bomb that they're planning on extracting out of the Beetaloo and if that's all exploited is going to, you know, it's worth like 40 coal um, power stations and will increase global emissions by like 2% or something. Really? Know. From one field? From one field. I think, was it 2% or was it like, no, it was Australia's overall emissions by 5% Wow. as a whole, which is quite a big deal considering that's like our export emissions as well. So it was... It's, uh, it's pretty terrifying that they're looking at doing that sort of work. So what, um, and we've been involved in, in, in this since start, you know, before Lock the Gate got here and then working with Lock the Gate, working with local communities to raise awareness of the issue. And, and people are really concerned about it. the concern around the water, uh, the concern around the climate. And, you know, we've, there's been uh, a moratorium and that was lifted and then there's been 135 recommendations that the Northern Territory Government, the Gunner Government, have put forward to be um, to implemented before the fracking industry can take a hold. But uh, we were all advocating at the time that the exploration, which is where they do the fracking, you know, shouldn't be allowed until they've done the studies first, but they're kind of running that uh, at the same time. Right. So the background studies, the strategic regional environmental baseline assessments, Sharibas as they're called, are being run parallel to when the fracking's happening. So there's people out there testing water and doing baseline assessments as wells are being fracked. And we always thought that was a bit, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's like asking a survey question and giving people the answer at the same time. You know, it's, yeah, messing yeah, with the, yeah. it's messing with the science uh, of, the, um, of, the, of the Shariba process, which, you know, We've advocated for a robust regulatory system in that way in the past, but we've advocated more recently after seeing the methane bombs coming out of the United States, seeing the water contamination impacts that have happened over there as well, and our position moved from saying, well, we need to regulate this industry strongly to saying we need a ban on it because the emissions are just... Uh, the fugitive emissions are unable to be dealt with. Like It doesn't matter... Yeah, They can try to fix the leaks in pipes, they can do all that, but ultimately... Every frack is an experiment. They don't really know yeah, what's right. going to happen. They don't know how the earth is going to respond when they push millions of litres of water and chemicals and, and agar, um, guar, gum and sand at high pressure under the ground. They don't really know how it's going to respond. And that's what yeah. the exploration is. They're trying to find out how well they can crack it to release the gas. And so, you know, the, taking that back again to what's happening up in Darwin just yesterday and today is a court case where... Activists from uh, Borroloola and from Darwin who are standing up to the government who have given us now no other option. They're not, they're, 
talking about, oh, we need to do stuff about climate change, but they're not actually doing anything. They've got a climate response, doing a little bit of renewables, but the fact that they're trying to get all this gas out of the ground and set up petrochemical plants in uh, Darwin uh, demonstrates that they don't take the climate science seriously and as responsible citizens who are scientifically literate and also for people who've got cultural authority to do so, uh, people have to stand up and we have to push back and then sometimes that will break the laws but it, you know, at what point, uh, you know, what was going on in Germany at the time was legal under German law in World War Two. Mm. You know, the, there's certain legalities that are going on, you know, and uh, there's a whole lot of illegalities that we need to be able to push back on and I think climate is rising and I think people are starting to not just sit back and just go, oh yeah, the government will sort it out. People are going to have to take it into their own hands. Yeah, 100%. That's actually really interesting that you raised the Germany World War Two thing because that's been a thought that's been occupying my head for a long time is that if the effects of runaway warming and various other climate emergencies are infinite and have therefore infinite impact on the human collateral at the other end of it at what time at what point does that become a crime against humanity if it's mm. like it's not just about one environment one ecosystem or even one community mm. or a couple of people outside the courtrooms it's mm. like if this is going to impact infinite people down the line, at what point are our politicians who are supposed to be looking after us and making decisions with our best interests at heart, when are they going to get held to account as, like, like yeah, crimes against humanity? It really bugs me out. Well, I think there was some, there was some great work done by this uh, a lawyer, a lawyer in, the United, in the United Kingdom. I think she's re she recently passed away, I think, in the last 12 months, Polly Higgins. And she'd done a lot of work on the crime of ecocide. So she was looking at mm. actually making ecocide a crime, uh, a peacetime crime against humanity. So ultimately, a, a, um, where people could be charged for ecocide in the same way for genocide and various other things. And looking to see when governments and companies approve these massive projects and, or, uh, that then fail and destroy whole swathes of land or, um, or vast amounts of pollution. That, uh, that people be tried with crimes that would be, you know, highest crimes that you can commit on, on the planet. So she, um, part, she unfortunately died before she had a chance to see that, that sort of thing come through. But that's, that's, you know, to a certain degree, we want to get to that point. Wouldn't it be great to get to that point? But the reality of the world, the way that power is at the moment and the way that there's, you know, all this kind of strongman leadership, whether it's Russia, China, America, mm. um, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Poland, yeah. Like there's all, yeah, the challenge is, is that people, we're losing democracy. You know, democracy is being kind of disempowered. And that's our big concern here in the territory is that we're already at a disadvantage here in that our government, if they want to bring in something, let's say they wanted to bring in euthanasia, which was done in 2001, federal government ruled against it and stopped them from doing it. If the states do it, the states can do it, but the Northern Territory can't because the federal government approves all the laws that come through for the Northern is that, Territory. Is that the difference between territory so, and state? Is yeah, that, so if the Northern oh, Territory really? wanted to ban fracking and brought it into law, the feds could override it and say, no, you don't, we're going to get that gas out of the ground. Yeah. In the wow. same way, if they want to legalise you know, we or do you know, some, you know, anything that's kind of slightly progressive, yeah. the feds could come in and say, no, sorry, we don't approve of that. And so in that way then we don't have the same democratic rights here as the rest of Australia. Uh, in a similar way, when the federal government did the intervention here in 2007, they were able to just override the Northern Territory government and just say we're sending in the troops to 
go into communities and you know on this um uh yeah false claims or exaggerated claims of you know pedophilia rings and stuff like that so mm. the the reality is is that you know we we're facing a situation here in the northern territory where because of uh the debt of the northern territory government which is a range of factors that are, you know like yeah there's probably yes, there's a lot of uh, profligate spending in there but there's also the fact that we've got a a lot of people at disadvantage in the Northern Territory that do require a lot of a lot of service and also the provision of service is a lot more expensive here as well so there's a lot of debt but the problem is is that the feds can bail us out but if the feds do bail us out which is looking increasingly likely and particularly when we see Chief Minister Gunner elbow bumping the Prime Minister and saying you know Good to see you, boss. You know, you're pretty much referring to him in a Facebook. Look at post. all the gas I found you. Yeah, are you yeah. happy with me? Totally, and that's what I. And that's the real concern is that uh, there's a lot of this sort of play going on at the moment. The COVID recovery, uh, you know, it needs to be renewable. It's the best opportunity that we've had ever to uh, bring about a, a clean recovery that could be just and and um, you know, there's a frog. Just that's so funny. <laughs> But um, but yeah, so and I suppose that's the that's the the real challenging element is that you know we need to be renewable powered. You're here. Look how much sun we've got. Yeah. Look how much land we've got. There's ways of which there could be opportunities for uh, traditional owners and for other landholders out here to be able to be generating electricity from the sun. But you know they're looking at their old gas mates and looking at their jobs that they want outside of politics, which is that revolving door of fossil fuel industry it's and politics. It's just full-blown cartel, isn't it? Like, totally it's so is. disturbing. Totally is. And I think, and it's, and it's a global industry that does this, you know, and, and mm. you look anywhere where these, where these uh, you know, petro-states are, because ultimately that's what they're trying to set the Northern Territory up as a petro-state, where, you know, the, the gas industry and, and, and uh, petroleum industry is, um, is above the law, essentially, and, and makes all the money is that, uh, yeah, there's a lot less dem democracy there. And there's already a disengagement with democracy here anyway, where we have a lot of people from remote communities and, and uh, Aboriginal people in, in, in uh, regional areas are not voting and because they don't see any change. They don't see that it's actually impacting on them, whether it's Labor, Liberal, whoever gets in, is not delivering for Aboriginal people. And so it gets this vicious cycle where... You know, you get the politics out here where they're, rather than trying to work with Aboriginal people to solve the issues, whether it's housing crisis or whether it's climate adaptation or any of those sorts of things, instead they focus on what's the issues that are going to get them in, mm. young people causing trouble, you know, oh, it was, you know, the racist stuff where people say, oh, it was so much better when the biosecurity zones were here and all the Aboriginal people were out and their communities are not in town because there's less rubbish and less violence and less break-ins and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is is that this place here is a regional centre that services a million-plus square kilometres of land, mm. and we need to be catering to all those people. We can't be... Um, and the politics is that, you know, is that division, you know, even on that sort of bush and town reality where they call it, you know, it's all the... So, yeah, so... There's lots of things going on here. We've already got lots of issues with democracy and, and um, turning us into a petro state's only going to make it worse. Yeah. So how, so what do you do about that at, at, at Alec here? Like, uh, what, what yeah. can you 
how do you, how do you sort of push away from that and find alternative avenues to to create change when politics is failing you? Yeah, well, that's I suppose that's the thing. So we do still engage with government processes here. So we still you have you know, to, right? We like have to. Like we, you know, a mining application goes in. You've got to put in a submission. We've got a policy officer here who, who reads those uh, applications and puts in submissions about how it could be improved or whether or not we think it should um, not proceed or be referred to a EPA for assessment, those sorts of things. So we, we do that sort of engagement. We do the sort of lobbying and asking for stuff and you know that sort of thing. But ultimately, one of the things that we do that others haven't done that much we, you know we're setting up community gardens so we've mm. set up one community garden over on east side we've just got funding and we're about to set up a second community garden on the other side and it provides a real a real life demonstration for people about what what our community could look like you know in terms of just the the uh you know the shared food economy and the sort of you know the what what uh, a, a cooperative economy looks like and you know our community garden over on east side we've had that for 10 years we set it up as just an idea cool. and it's grown volunteer led and that's that's the key as well as i think just providing some beacons of light for people to say hey we can actually do stuff together we can actually work together uh that it's not the end of the road uh and i think that that's that's one part of it the other part's advocacy so getting out there and campaigning on issues and raising awareness about the impacts of climate change on Central Australia and Central Australians, the heat issues, but also the uh, the fact that we need a Climate Change Act to make government reduce our emissions and make mm. government uh, accountable, look, accountable, and 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 and, and uh, that they also um, invest in adaptation and in, invest in ways to be able to help community deal with it because there's a certain amount of warming that's going to be locked in that we just have to. To deal with, yeah. and we just we're you know at that point of are we making a decision that it's going to be two degrees or under, or are we looking at is it going to be six degrees? And the current approach to gas and coal that the federal government's currently got is heading towards a four to six degrees. degrees. Yeah, 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 they don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's just really important for um, for us to be able to show people that we can keep pushing on, and and uh, you know, despite the challenges that. Um, that we've got a responsibility to ourselves and, and the people who are already here, but also for the people that aren't here or even the kids who are growing up to do what we can to make sure that, that you know, the place is left in a better state than what we found it. Yep. And that um, you know, these democratic structures that we value and that, um, that set us aside from uh, authoritarian regimes, that we value those as well and that people engage in them because when people disengage from politics and think that, oh, well... It's not our thing. It doesn't matter. It's not us. It just empowers those that are already there yeah. to just have less care about what people who disagree with them think. And so I think the key is, is also just making sure that we build a, a base of engagement as well. So we're also you know, helping create new leaders and helping support leadership is, is, uh, is, is important. And we do some of that work. The other stuff we do as well is we do the practical side of things. So we've got an a arm of Alec called Arid Edge Environmental Services and we do uh, the practical, like we've got a bush care team, we've got vehicles, we've got trailers, we've got tools, we've got teams of people who at various times, depending on funding, going out protecting uh, old gum trees from being burnt by buffalo grass, really? doing landscaping, garden design consulting work with um, master planning with communities on how to deal with climate change 
we, you know, we've got a, something out of there's a contract with uh, Tuvaluan government to help the, uh, to do a compost uh, waste study for the Tuvaluan government who's have got oceans rising in yeah. Tuvalu. How'd they find you guys? Uh, or did you find them? Well, they found us through a group that used to have a representative here called Live and Learn Environmental Education. So they, they do a lot of work in the Pacific and then they just said, oh, look, you know, we've got this project. Do you guys think you can do it? And, and uh, yeah, they said, yeah, we can do it. So awesome. that was before Corona. So they've been doing it via broken telephone lines and, and Zoom calls to Tuvalu about how they could use their food waste to help build soil so that they could actually keep growing local Grow food, food rather than, you know, the, the salination that's happening as the ocean rises. So, you know, we, I suppose we as an organisation, you know, being 1,500 k's away from any other environmental organisation and, uh, and speaking for, you know, speaking for with the, the desert, uh, which is generally a forgotten place, you know, the outback, you know, just where we put nuclear waste out there and have the mines and frack fields. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and um, you know, so it's important for us to have a strong voice here and that's deeply rooted with from the community as well. Like Alex, 40 years old as an organisation and we've been uh, campaigning for the protection of national parks and getting mining and grazing out of national parks right through to stopping uranium mines and nuclear waste dumps standing with traditional owners uh, to... Um, to, to do that so yeah we work across the board and I feel really privileged I've been here for almost 13 years at the helm of it and wow. I feel really privileged to uh, have been able to to be a part of it and, 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 and help be um, yeah the director and facilitator of, of this change I love that man it's like you've just thrown yourself at it and it's so needed there's no one else by the sounds of things really standing up to do that yeah, it's well, like such a vacuum well, I think the beauty authority. about Central Australia is that it's, it's uh, like, you know, people talk about the Manifest Express and, you know, that's, you know, sound like a hippie or whatever, but there's... Um, What's the Manifest Express, sorry? Well, it's kind of like, a, a, you know, if you put an intention out you know, here, like if you come out here and you've got some issues or you've, you know, the desert kind of brings out what you need. Yeah, right. And sometimes it can be hard medicine, sometimes it can be good medicine. But you learn lessons out here. So it's kind of like that whole be careful what you ask for because this place is a, you know, it's a spiritual centre of the country. Mm. You know, there's still are the people here singing songs of country and looking after it and doing all the cultural stuff. Not as much as previously, but the, the culture is still strong. And, and I'm a, uh, I, you know, my own personal experience is that I've you know, given myself and thrown myself at this place and said, well, look, you know, I'm here to... To uh, to do what I can and what what is needed, and you know, and I've managed to you know, get all the things that I've ever wanted. Like th being involved in this organisation is such a privilege, and being able to you know be represented on the council. Me and my mate started a music festival, which is all stuff that I have always wanted to do when I lived back in Melbourne, and uh, and yeah, managing to do it, and you know, finding love and finding you know family and all that kind of stuff. So it uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, you don't necessarily know what to expect, but when you get it, you kind of go, "Oh yeah, that that was hard, but I got what I needed." I love it, man. You, know. you don't need to like, you don't need to dilute the hippie shit with me. I'm so into yeah, it. Yeah. Like, I 100% buy into that. And like, my favourite saying I've heard about that thing is that you find what you need where you least want to look. Yeah. And I think about like the desert. This is my first time in the outback, and I'm 28. It's taken me a bloody long time to get out here. Uh, but I just love that idea of like the desert as this really harsh environment mm. with it's like it's 
there's nothing defined out here except like truth because you've got so much time to think, you've got so much time to absorb it and to mm. really like, yeah, just but, feel the reverberation but, of it all. And if you know what you're looking for, so if you've got a good sense of who you are and what you want, and this is, you know, this is, I suppose, looking at Aboriginal culture out here too, like, you know, it is a harsh place and it's hard to live and, you know, things either adapt or die out here. But, you know, if you know what you're looking for or you know where to look, you find it, you know. Mm. If you know where to dig in the riverbed, you'll find water. If you know where to dig in a certain tree, you'll find food. If you know how to follow certain tracks, you're going to find something to eat. If you know how to, you know, burn with a certain wind, you know, certain things, you know, so. Yeah. So I think that, you know, people having, you know, lived here for tens of thousands of years and having for generations, thousand generations of, of learning and listening and observing and then learning some more and then changing things and doing things differently but then passing those stories down the line to their kids about the lessons they learned and the stories that the that the um you know creative spirits and the the beings that are in the landscape that are always there so that the stories are always there for people as reminders of of things i think is a really uh, amazing part of this country that just isn't acknowledged you know the outback's all about the explorers and burke and wills and you know, all that sort of stuff in yeah. the past, you know, when we are in school. But, you know, we don't get to learn that, that uh, the importance of that culture about how important conservation and protecting the country is and looking after water and, you know, looking after the animals and plants and not taking too much and all those sorts of things that, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, synergies with, with different faiths as well around that sort of thing. But, you know, people are kind of you know, haven't really had an opportunity to, we as a nation haven't grown up enough to actually listen properly to what Aboriginal people are saying and I think that that's something that uh, I've learnt here is just that, that patience, you know, of, 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 you know, if it's supposed to be it will happen rather than just mm. trying to force things to happen and sometimes, you know, that, you know, what's this miles, you know, just, you just kind of want to make stuff happen when you want to make it happen but sometimes you just, you, you've just got to, got to you know sit back and trust in the trust and, and look around and and mm. just uh and bring people with you and i think that that's something that um you know i've learned here and i think it's it's important for us to actually to listen and, and that's when it comes bringing it back to fracking and bringing it back to the climate change is that you know the elders and people have been saying this for decades that we need to be looking after mother earth better that we need to be looking after our water that we shouldn't be mining where certain song lines are, that we shouldn't be doing this, that and the other. And, you know, it's we need to heed those those lessons, those warnings and 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 work with Aboriginal people to restore this land. Otherwise if we don't, we're gonna be screwed. Like as far as the That's impacts it. of climate change, the drying, the floods, the fires, all those sorts of things are just gonna be exacerbated. And we'll have we'll have you know, two real countries, you know, there'll be the the people who won't be affected so much, it'll be the people who've got the means and the money, and the rest of us who won't be able to hide from it and will have to embrace, you know, have to just deal yeah. with it. And I think that that's what happening, that's what's happening out here in Central Australia at the moment too, with the summer heat waves and the migrations that people, you know, the, the adaptations that people have to make in their lives to deal with the heat is means that people and kids and others become more nighttime mm. people because it's the most active time of the day and if you haven't got housing that's being able to adequately keep you cool or you haven't got 
cars, the aircon on, and you haven't got all those sorts of things, then you've got to adapt your lifestyle. And I think that there's, um, you know, there's changes happening out here already, and we need to uh, need to act. And that's why I think, you know, going back to what Lauren and Conrad are doing up in Darwin in court right now for drilling a hole with some machinery on the parliamentary lawn. On the lawn on is the uh, is hell. is really important. That it's a symbolic. Uh, standing up for justice and standing up for what's right and I think that uh, the climate emergency is is going to require us all to do things that we may not have thought we would have to be doing but that we're going to have to do to ensure that the people who are least likely to be impacted by climate change and the ones who are making all the money from these fossil fuel developments are... Uh, uh, made to um, forced to respond. Yeah, it's uh, just held to account, and that's going to require people standing up. Like Adani's not going to stop without people standing up. Yeah, you know, fracking's not going to stop without people standing up, and you know, sometimes the only way to stop something is to get in the way of it. Yep, drilling a hole in the lawn is just like it's the cleverest thing to do because it, it's like the virtue by virtue of the inordinate amount of punishment they're receiving by even being in court for something that a landscaper fixed in a matter of minutes it's like oh that upset you that tiny little hole that didn't actually do anything to yeah. the environment around you what do you think a massive version of that's going to do where you're injecting all of these other bloody chemicals and it's and, so uh, clever it's perfect and, and it's really a, yeah, they've done a and I, I just you know because I know those people you know I know um, Lauren and, and Conrad and and, uh, and some of the the nanas up there as well, but it was just—it was such a good action when they did it. It was so, you know, tough because, as as yeah, as I've heard them say on radio and in other interviews, is that they're just you know not given any other choice. Like when the mm. legal system and everything else just kind of puts you off to the side and and makes you like a um, you know, that your country and your life doesn't matter. Then what other options do they have? So, I think it's just beautiful symbolic as a scene, you know. Drilling, so the, uh, drilling into the lawns and yeah. it just kind of yeah also grass of all things it just yeah, doesn't yeah, do yeah. anything it's totally. not like a productive plant totally and it's just you know and a lot of wasted water up in Darwin yeah. on, uh, on lawns too so yeah so yeah so look we'll find hopefully we'll find out today or or soon uh, what the outcome is of that but um I think that if uh yeah I think the the judges hopefully will um find in their favour uh, and recognise that this sort of it's important for us to stand up to stop these, you know, global heating, you know, earth warming uh, projects that are just not well thought through and are just being driven by ideology and, um, and we need to make sure that they don't, they're not able to be uh, opened up. Mm. You know, this is, you know, like today is some good news as well, I suppose, is BP, uh, BHP, not follow, they've decided that they're not going to expand or not going to go ahead with the expansion of Olympic Dam, which is a big uranium copper mine right. down there. Which was there was a lot of people concerned about the impacts that was going to have on the um, all the little uh, uh, Great Artesian Basin, little waterholes and mound springs all the way through the Lake Air Basin down through the desert, Simpson Desert down that way. And uh, yeah, they've. It uh, looks like it's too complex geology that they're looking at and there was a lot of uh, public uh, concern around the expansion plans for the project and so they've, they've pulled it, which, awesome. is, which is good, you know. Yeah. So I think in this age where it's almost like the, um, 
the Rio Tinto is is the Rio Tinto incident where they blew up the the, the, uh, the gorge. gorge. Yeah, Jugan yeah. Gorge. It's kind of almost like the Me Too movement for the you know, for the um, for cultural sites as, as as Me Too was for sexual harassment and, and women's rights more recently. And I think that it's really just just showing the the uh, inequities and and the, the the challenges in the system, and that, that it's a systemic issue. You know, it's not just a you know, a couple of incidences here and there. Yeah. The law in Western Australia actually uh, allows and encourages this sort of behaviour. And, you know, even mining companies are starting to say, well, hey, we need to change the law because... It's not worth the loss in social currency yeah, totally. and, and cultural destruction. And, yeah. I love the idea that, um, that these protests... Like, I've got a lot of faith in the judicial system to really salvage a lot of the climate emergency because mm. I'm... Sounds like you. I'm, I've lost so much faith in our politicians to do mm. that and realising that they're kind of just puppeteering to whoever's um, funded the campaign, basically. Mm. But I like the idea that magistrates and judges are, like, intelligent and, mm. and uh, articulate people and often, like, they've got families, they've got kids, they understand the climate emergency properly. So it really excites me that some new precedents might get mm. set. Like there's one girl um, going to trial for protesting, I think it was with Extinction Rebellion, mm. um, and saying, I did this illegal thing on the grounds that there's an emergency going on. And that was uh, in the law, a reason that you could do commit this crime. I forget what she mm. did. I think it might have just been obstructing traffic or something fairly like benign. But she's doing it as in like, no, you've written the law saying, I can do this if there's an emergency. Mm. There is an emergency. The UN's telling you there's an emergency. If I can't, then can we just have a discussion about it at the very least? And that is like so inspiring mm. as a glimmer of hope for setting some new precedents and then making really, you know, clever things like mm. drilling holes in the grass a lot more accessible. And then the more of them, then that start, that sort of critical momentum starts to build and... And just keeps, keeps on rolling, I suppose. Yeah. That, I suppose that, you know, in terms of, um, there are some, you know, on the, you know, there are some good things politically that are happening too, like looking across the ditch over New Zealand and seeing the increased green vote and, and uh, the Labor government there being returned. ACT as well. ACT as Three well. Three So that's uh, really positive. So I just think mm. that, you know, people are starting to to wake up to the reality. Like, I'm, you know, um, obviously the Greens have got you know, a lot better policies and are sort of challenging the, the economic system that is just kind of just accepted as... as uh, as doctrine from uh, both the, the, the major parties. But I suppose one of the things that we need to think about too is just that we've got the likes of, you know, in the Northern Territory, we used to have a local paper here, the Centralian Advocate, which just finished on uh, June 26th. Really? After 70-something years of oh, that's sad. publication. So now we've got the Northern Territory News, NT News, known for, you know, crocs on the front and various kind of headlines. But... Um, uh, now we have a, you know, a Tuesday and Friday edition where we get like one page, you know, we used to have like a 30 page paper each week or twice a week and now it's kind of you know, two pages twice a week in the mm. NT News but it's owned by Murdoch right? and like across the rest of Australia the influence of the Murdoch Empire on you know, government, government and, and the impacts that it's having on our society around dealing with climate change and you know how they frame, you know, governments that don't do what they want them to do, you know, like just seeing, you know, the Victorian government, which, you know, had a pretty harsh and some, you know, punitive elements to its lockdown strategy, but 
did the right thing by getting it down to mm. to next to nothing. And I suppose what's interesting is how the COVID stuff. And I was just listening to a um, quarterly essay the other day, but how the bushfires, you know, after the bushfires, and just how the federal government was just in strife after that. Like they just showed no leadership and were caught flat-footed and just were unable to deal with it. And how COVID's kind of changed the game a bit and enabled the the trust in government to kind of come back mm. again, which is an interesting mm. space for us to occupy because, you know, government is supposed to be there to do the right thing for us, you know, as people. That's their job. They're not doing it. They've been... The, the system has... You know, it's always been open to corruption. But I just think, you know, given that we don't have any federal independent you know, corruption... Uh, commissions against corruption or anything like that there's no accountability to the feds to us anymore like the mm. local government there's more accountability like you know local council walks down the street and something happens and says why aren't you doing something about that you know yeah, yeah. whereas the federal governments aren't so i suppose what i'm leaning towards is that we need to get involved in our democracies more you know we need more people stepping up and running for mayors and local government and we need more people, you know, being involved and engaged in in volunteer activities, whether it's trying to stop fracking or whether it's community gardening or whether it's going out and, you know, doing meals on wheels or helping people get around. It's all important stuff and I think that we just need to not give up and not ever think that it's too late or it's over and we yep. just keep on pushing because what else are we going to do you know exactly like we'd sit at home rocking and crying and thinking Winching. about you know and just feeling hopeless and wondering whether the chemtrails and 5g and everything else is going to you know disempower us but the reality is is that you know yeah there is a small cabal of people that are doing stuff they're called the multi-billionaires of the world and the governments do what they want them to do there are some more billionaires there that are wanting to help and wanting to be involved in the process and there are others that are say let's ditch this place let's go to mars you know like we need mm, to mm. and they're saying people are also doing some great work in you know developing electric vehicles and other things so i've never understood the get to mars thing because i'm like if we can get to mars why wouldn't we just take all our rubbish there i'm not saying that's good yeah. like to go and pollute <laughs> it planet, along, yeah, yeah. but like it wouldn't that be way easier to leave a bunch of plastic there which is probably going to be more fine than we are trying yeah, to exist yeah. there as like another habitat yeah, well, I suppose it's like Superman 4, you know, where Superman, like, takes all the nuclear waste up and just throws it in the sun and, you know... And it's gone. It's all gone, it's yeah, finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing to worry about, people, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, look, I think that that's... Uh, I think that there's always... And, you know, this obsession that our society has with superstars and, you know, heroes and that, you know, somebody's going to come and rescue us and it's all going to be fine. I think that there's there's got to be... Uh, that, you know, we've got to be our own heroes in our own stories. I more, love that. And we That's need the to, way to say it. We need to step up and, yeah. you know, be proud of who we are and be proud of, of what we can do together and, and connect with each other because particularly after the, the COVID stuff and the fact that, you know, this whole social distancing and social isolation that's been going on and a lot of people watching lots of Netflix too, but we need to... We need to uh, reconnect with ourselves and with each other and get back out there and get back on the, the front lines of whether that's, you know, going in to vote, helping people vote, whether it's going out to stop fracking. But you know, either way, we've just got to be active and we just can't sort of just be too comfortable or 
or um, you know, just go, oh, well, what's it matter? I can't do anything. But reality is, we all can, and we've just got to yeah. find that power within ourselves. And whether that, you know, some people have faith, some people have, you know, whatever floats their boat. But I think it's just important for people to uh, to really gain a sense of themselves as a global citizen. Like, you know, you're a human before you're an Australian, and yeah. and be able to. Uh, to work beyond that, you know, because especially these times with the Trump election and America and the crazy racism and divisiveness that's becoming normalised, I think it's time for us to actually just go, well, look, you know, we've got to act in our own backyard and it's about being global and being local at the same time. It's not about thinking globally and acting locally. Like, we've got to, we've got to combine both of those and recognise that we've got a place in this world and do what we can in it in the best way that we can. Man, I absolutely love that as a sentiment, be your own hero. I hate that there's like such a feeling of disenchantment, but I acknowledge that that's real mm. and people feel like, oh, I'm just one person or mm. they've lost faith in their vote or something, but it is so much more than that. And even if it's like, even if, even if you can't go out and protest on the front mm. line against a Dani or a fracking operation or, or you know, run yeah. for council or something, you can hit someone up in your office if you live in the city and say, oh, hey, you don't live too far away from me. Have you got a bike? Mm. I've got a bike. Maybe we should start cycling mm. to work and then just like, take these little steps to just feel empowered mm. rather than disenchanted and, and then donating money and all those you know just ways of which because places like us out here like we're we're a small base of people you know we've got you know 25,000 people in Alice we've got 400 members but you know we're look you know involved in this huge it's area massive, so we're yeah. so dependent on some of our biggest donors for the environment center from interstate mm. you know we had a lady give us 50 grand from Sydney last year epic you know, because she likes the work that we do and thinks we're, it's a good spend of money, you know, yeah, for, yeah. For, uh, for, for what we do. So I think it's important for, you know, to, to do all these things, but also just recognise if you can't do anything and there's a group or something that you're passionate about that is, you know, looking for money, chuck in 20 bucks, chuck in 50 bucks. If you've just got some money, you know, give them more. Like, all this stuff helps because ultimately we're all in this together and, all, you know, and we need to be looking at ways at which we can... Um, share the now so that we've actually got to share a future to actually belong to because yeah. otherwise it's you know the risk is is that it, it it will be taken away from us if we don't actually wake up to, you know do something about it you know some scientists say that you know we've already reached climate tipping points and all that stuff but we haven't reached the human tipping point exactly. yet exactly and, and at know, this point it's like it's almost I almost have to tune that stuff out because that's unhelpful. It's mm. like that doesn't motivate me because it's not over. I'm still I still woke up this morning. Mm. I'm still breathing. Like, yeah, we've there's some tipping point that we went past according to this index mm. of ice in the North Pole or something. But it's like I'm still awake. Yeah. I can still call up my mum. She's still awake, and yeah. we can still do stuff. So yeah. it's like it's so not over. No, totally right. And the sense of purpose that you can feel in just taking control of your own life mm. is huge. So I love that. I love that as a sentiment and probably I need to let you go back to your actual work now. But I think that's probably a really nice sentiment to like close on that in this time where we've lost so much community with mm. COVID and we've lost so much connectivity and we're also experiencing the wildest year of climate on record, mm. what better way to like start banding together? What better framework could we ask for to start rebuilding some of that stuff? Yeah, I think, and I think also just, you know, we've got to be gentle with each other too, you know. I think we've got to, um, you know, we're all kind of at different stages of understanding the challenges that we face. So we've kind of, we've all got to just keep on uh, 
approaching it with 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 love and and with um, with a sense of, of togetherness because the you know sometimes it can feel lonely when you're sitting there doing stuff or you yeah. feel like you know if you're you're the only one slogging it away sometimes and and in that those moments it's really important to to remember that there's those of us all over the world that are doing this stuff whether we're you know doing Black Lives Matters in in uh, you know, LA or whether we're standing up against you know mining companies in West Papua or whether uh, you know Aboriginal people standing up for uh, against police um, shooting their young people or you know or your you know, young person in uh, Indonesia or Asia or you know anywhere in the world in Australia Africa where life's hard and you're pushing uh, to make it better I think that we all just remember that we're all connected here and that you know the uh, the only challenges that we've really got to face are ourselves because ultimately uh, if we approach it like a and I'm sort of you know some medicine for myself because sometimes I feel like it's a war and you're kind of mm. like battling against totally. it but you know it's really important for us to remember that um, people can change as well and and that uh you know, just because you were something yesterday doesn't mean you can't be that today. Yeah. Beautiful. Love it. All right, Jimmy. Well, thanks so much, dude. Right. I'm going to let you get back to your stuff. No, I really appreciate the opportunity and thanks for giving the space and traveling through and for Mate. what you're doing, man. It's great. Mate, my pleasure. It's such a treat to meet you. And what an amazing chat. Do you see what I mean when I introduce this now, guys? That this is a guy walking the talk and he's also very good at talking the talk. No, is he talking the walk? He's doing both and he's caning it and it left me feeling so fired up to go out and just do more, do as much as I bloody can because we don't have enough time left not to. What an amazingly important golden nugget of information that that conversation ended with as far as Jimmy's point to be gentle with one another. Telling each other off is such a counterproductive way to go about improving as a collective. It doesn't work. And I know this because I've been on the receiving end of it, as I'm sure you have. And that speaks to the other reason to keep it in the back pocket, which is that I'm still a work in progress. I'm sure you're still a work in progress as well. Jimmy's 10,000 steps down the line, but he's a very humble guy. And I'm pretty sure he would tell us that he's a work in progress as well. The point is that I look back at the things that I was doing that I hadn't thought about in terms of the environmental damage that I was causing, and I would hope not to be completely written off for doing something in the past that I was previously ignorant to. But the main, the main takeaway from this conversation was that I left feeling fired up, and I'm sure you probably do too now. It's kind of impossible not to absorb some of the energy from Jimmy. Because he left me feeling like, wow, if this guy is doing this much, pouring this much time and energy into improving Australia's environmental credentials as a country, then surely I can be pouring more time and energy into improving my environmental credentials as an individual. Adapt or die. It's like that other thing that Jimmy said, adapt or die in the desert. It's such an articulate example of this entire period of human existence on planet Earth. It is a shifting and hostile environment and we need to adapt or die. But that's a cool thing because that means that evolution is taking place at the fastest rate it could possibly take. So thanks again, Jimmy, for such an amazing chat and for making time for me, Joe Nothing, off the street. And thanks to you for tuning in to listen to it. So that's that. Cheers, guys. Go out and do your bit. I'll talk to you again soon.